Hello and welcome to This Ripe Fruit. My name is Phoebus and this podcast series aims to look at what it means to be sexual by exploring the experiences and insights of people who either directly work in the sex industry or whose work is closely linked to sex. I'm a psychotherapist and currently carrying out a doctorate on the meaning of sexuality and my aim in this series is to create an open and non-judgmental space where we can all listen and learn from people who deal with sex and the sexual professionally. With me today is Lorelai who is a multidisciplinary sex worker. Prior to becoming a sex worker, she was a lawyer for 11 years. So I started off this interview by asking her about her career change. The last few years of my legal career were spent very unhappily. Um, I had quite a bit of stress. Um, become quite disillusioned with the legal system. The whole routine of getting up every morning, going to the same place, sitting in the same room, phone ringing at me all day, and spending an inordinate amount of time in what seemed like meaningless tasks. So they weren't meaningless for some people, but um, I guess a lot of it seemed like it was to me. And I was very bored. I wasn't inspired by the work. And I guess I was getting a lot of my satisfaction in life from what I was doing in my personal life, which um, involved a lot of sex. Uh, I was on the fetish scene for around eight years, so that was my real life. And then the legal career was just the life I led. <laughs> so yeah, I had this double life where on, on the face of it, I was a very straight-laced lawyer, you can't bring the profession into disrepute, hence had to keep everything else secret because if it was found out that I was going to fetish parties then that could be frowned upon. God knows why it would affect anyone from doing their legal work, but this is just uh, what society says, is that if you're in this professional position then you couldn't possibly be sexy, you couldn't possibly want sex or be kinky or any of that stuff. So I had this double life, one as a lawyer, one as this kinkster. And... I was getting so fed up that I was doing something I really didn't enjoy to earn money. And yet the thing that I really did enjoy wasn't earning me money. And I just thought, I have to change this. I have to swap this around. I have to make this so that I'm actually getting an income from what I love and what I enjoy. Um, and then I met someone called Shawnee Love. So I was running a therapeutic business in my spare time as well, whilst I was still working as a lawyer, because I was looking for a way out. Before I thought sex work was my way out, I was still looking for a way out. I have a tarot business, I have a counselling business, I was doing massage, nutrition advice, I did a whole bunch of diplomas because I was thinking there must be some other way that I can help people um, in a more healing way. Uh, and that enables me to show up as who I am rather than putting on this suit every day that I hated and didn't feel comfortable and I couldn't show my tattoos or be who I was. So I was doing bits and bobs on the side um, and through my therapeutic and my tarot work, I was getting some work at festivals in the summer. So I would work in the healing area of a festival and that would usually be run by one person. And it seemed like there were lots of Australians that I was meeting through this and they all seemed to be kinky Australians. And anyway, um, one of them shared a post on Facebook from a page called The School of Erotic Mysteries. 
And there was a photo of this pamphlet and it said, uh, Conscious Kink Can Save the World by Shawnee Love. And they're advertising, oh, £4.50, we'll post you a copy of this pamphlet by Shawnee Love. And just that phrase, that conscious kink can save the world, just sparked something off in my mind because having such an interest in psychology and kink, what I'd been observing at fetish parties had got me thinking and noticing, oh, well, perhaps that's the motivation for doing that particular thing, or, oh, wow, I can see there's an emotional or psychological payoff for that. So, oh, I get it now. There's a process here. There's actually something alchemical happening. So I read the words conscious kink, and I thought, wow, this actually may be someone who's on the same wavelength as me and has actually written about it. So I ordered a copy, and I read it, and it was like reading my own thoughts. And so Shawnee Love was describing how applying shamanic principles to BDSM can give it therapeutic qualities. It's not a therapy, but it can have therapeutic qualities. And so I thought, wow, someone's actually made a business out of this. They're doing it. They're doing what I want to do. This is actually a thing. So I contacted him. <laughs> I just thought, I need to speak to this person. I don't know why. I don't know what's going to come out of it, but I just know if I speak to him, it will open doors for me. So I contacted him, said, hey, I loved your leaflet. I'd really love to talk to you. And we met for coffee. And cut long story short, he then agreed to mentor me to help me set up a pathway into a business in sex work as he had done because he gave up working in software engineering five years ago. So he had done it and that gave me the confidence to then say, okay, I'm going to do it. What was it like starting to do this work for you? Actually starting to do the work was really exciting. I transitioned from being very passive and sitting down and just knowing that I turn up for this period of time and then I get this amount of money and it was the same all the time and you just go on from month to month, whereas... Are you talking about law here? Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. I've gone from that to then completely independent. I've got all my skill set, which is just me. I am my product. I don't have to market with other rubbish that I don't find interesting. It's just me and I, I rate myself. I think I'm all right, you know. <laughs> So I was, then I was like, okay, how am I going to get this work? I don't know what I'm going to get this week, you know. And when I would get a client book me, I said, yeah, brilliant, you know. And I'd travel there and it was really exciting. And it, it, I felt more alive. I felt more hungry. I felt like I was utilising myself. I felt like I was showing up as myself. Um, so that was scary and there were worries about money at first. After the first few months, once I saw that it was consistent and um, self-employment, then I just, I relaxed, yeah. And and how, I mean, obviously, they're very different worlds mm. in the sex industry. And um, in this work, I would imagine, as you say, you are traveling to people. Mm. Um, how did you feel doing that in terms of just basic safety? Well, before I actually started working, obviously, I was having my mentoring sessions and I was going to a few different workshops because there are some different organizations around where they provide advice to sex workers so I went to something where we talked about vetting clients for out calls so if you're going out to visit someone what steps can you reasonably take to ensure that you're as safe as you can be um so it's things like asking for id proof of address things like that you know talking on the phone just listening to your gut if, if it doesn't feel right then just don't go so, so so you have to probably have a very acute sense of your intuition in yeah. order to be to do this work safely. Yeah, I think so. 
And in, do you have a particular type of client that you enjoy working with more than others? Yeah, I've found my way into that as I've gone, I suppose. I've had quite a mixture of clients, but there's a little group forming. Um, I'd say they're my repeat clients, so they might see me every every month, you know, for a few hours. I like building up a relationship with clients, which, you know, legal work or counselling work, you know, it's all about client care and building the relationship and the rapport. And that's just the same with sex work because it's a very personal service. You know, usually the client's just as nervous. You know, they're turning up somewhere or they're meeting someone they've never met before and they're going to have to be intimate in some way. And that can be really daunting for them. You know, oh, what if I shouldn't like me or what if I'm this or that or I can't, you know. Um, so I've got like a, a group of the older male clients where they might have chronic illnesses or they haven't felt sexual for a long time or you know they want some closeness or some intimacy and I think what I provide for them is really beautiful because you know they think maybe they're not going to have another partner again in their life they probably couldn't give to a partner what that partner would want anyway so coming to see me for a few hours and you know, feeling that they actually matter and that they're being seen and, you know, physically validated as well. Just, it, it's really um, precious to me and I think it is to them as well. So, so how do you deal with kind of clients who probably are very nervous? Um, you know, they've, h- how would you deal with that? I guess as communication even before meeting, communication has to be very clear. I always give really clear instructions of how to get to, you know, if I'm working in a particular place and they're visiting me, I provide very clear and concise instructions as to where it is and the directions, even down to ringing the buzzer and then where the light switches and the stairs and everything like that, because that in itself, the journey to a place can be quite stressful. Someone who wants to be on time for their appointment, because if... You know, there'll be a lot of professional dominatrices that if a client's late, they won't ever see them again. So they're worried about getting in my bad books, <laughs> you see. So if I've been clear with my communication, that will ease some of the nerves. And then when they get there, oh, let me take your coat. Can I get you a drink? Where have you come from? Sit down. Let's have a quick chat. It's like any client relationship. You've got to break the ice first and you have to just ease into whatever interaction you're going to have by, you know, even just a short exchange of words that lets you both know where you are. And but There's something here that you're saying which seems really significant about care and warmth and just a very, it's a very human interaction. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Do you discuss boundaries or is, is that something that you have on a website or discuss that on the phone or do you, is that something? Yeah, my website did have information about that. I hid all the pages of my website pending it being updated so that's not on there at the moment which is a little bit annoying it means I'm fielding a lot more inquiries than I should be but I will negotiate some boundaries on an individual basis in terms of the general information that I put out there in an FAQ documents it will be things like um, I insist on the use of safe words because I'm practicing kink so I need to know that my client can safely stop a scene in a way that you know they're able to um 
and that I will understand immediately. So I say, use the word red for stop immediately. Orange, if you just maybe want to pause or you're not sure it's getting close to being uncomfortable. And you can even say green, you know, people could say green, 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 green if you're touching them in a particular place and it's really working for them. That can be really good feedback as well. So it's a traffic light exercise um, that I've done in workshops before, which is you'll stand with a partner and one will be touching and the other one will just be receiving. And the one receiving has to use those words. So green, 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 orange. And if they say orange, the person will just move to another place. They won't stop. If it's red, then they have to come away completely. So I like to teach that as a general thing. It's very rare that anyone, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever had to use it, but um, it's good education. I think people need to be aware that it's down to them to an extent to say if they're aware that they're uncomfortable about something to make sure the other person knows. Uh -huh. And are there any boundaries that are for you red boundaries that you do not engage with with your clients? Um, the most frequent inquiry that I get, which I say no to, is for something called hard sports. So scat, basically. There are certain people, um, toilet slaves, yeah. That, that's a specific thing that they want. I get a lot of email inquiries asking me for that, and I always say absolutely not. It's just not something that I offer. There are people that do, <laughs> but I don't. And do you engage uh, penetratively with your with your clients? I don't rule it out, yeah. So it's not something that anyone would ever consider they have an entitlement to. But for me, in the context of a scene, if it works, then I don't... I'm not one of those doms that's, oh, I don't have sex with subs. I don't moralise sex. That's the whole point of being a sex worker. It's that, you know, we're not moralising the sex. It's just whether it works or doesn't work. There is no right or wrong or weird in sexuality. That's just what's dangerous. And as long as we're not being dangerous, then it's okay. So how do you experience pleasure in your work? In my work, the pleasure could be from getting ready and liking how I look to the client walking out the door and me thinking, wow, that was such a lovely session. They were so happy. They're definitely going to come back. Or it could be I've done an amazing role play, which I thought, wow, I really, I got in their head with that one. You know, some people really enjoy the psychological aspects of domination. So I get a thrill and a buzz from lots of different aspects, whether that be, you know, physical touch, the mind stuff, the whole show of it. Um, but do you also experience sexual pleasure? Yeah, I wouldn't do it otherwise, yeah. And would you say the sexual pleasure that you experience while you're working is different to when you're not working? Sometimes it's better when I'm working. Okay, so can you say a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I think what I've found with clients is that they come to see a dominatrix. So they generally want to serve and they want to express devotion for the divine feminine. Um, and you don't get that very much. <laughs> Just out, you know, guys in bars or, you know, wherever people meet people nowadays. I never really did the dating thing, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, in my personal life, where it's not clients, so that, you know, they're not coming from a place of devotion, I want to serve you. Sometimes it's a bit, bit tepid, you know. <laughs> For me, it's not really. Maybe it's not really my thing anymore. 
So there's something about this dynamic of domination and submission that you really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Usually the most revealing question I can ask a client is, how do you want to feel during the session? If they're coming to feel something, and I am the one that needs to implement the structures that will foster that feeling coming out. I want to feel this, I want to feel scared, or I want to feel loved, or whatever it is. Yeah, so uh, quite a common one that I notice with guys that work in the corporate world is they'll say, you know, I'm... I'm always the one in charge. I'm not telling everyone what to do. I have to be in control all the time. Can't ever show any emotion. Da, da, da. And I really just want to kind of release something. So, you know, it could be frustration. It could be rage even. If I can get them to cry, usually that's good. And how would you do that? How would I do that? Out of sheer frustration of them being restrained and not being able to get away from all the things that I'm doing to them. It's fascinating because it almost sounds like you have to... It's almost like a chess game. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get somebody to feel what they said they want to feel? Mm. But you mentioned also the words, some people want to feel scared. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time, they find it difficult to actually define an emotion. They'll do what I did, which was describe a situation instead and then kind of throw it at me to solve. So, you know, the guy who's saying what happens to you at work and da-da-da, I then have to decipher and read between the lines and figure out, okay, what's the feeling? <laughs> and then I might put that to them and say, so it's this. But, yeah, I mean, the most common ones, you know, relaxation, that's a really common one. You just want to relax, just want to let go, so surrender. Ah. And, and other than kind of this possibly more kinky, fetishy, BDSM-type services that you offer... Do people just want the standard vanilla sex working service with you? Yeah, I mean, they do, but they, I don't get those clients. You know, I I get the right work for me. I don't get those inquiries. The people that just want to turn up and have a quick, you know, bit of sex and then go, they wouldn't approach me because they know that's not what I'm about. So in terms of more vanilla clients, you know, that would be you know, the older clients where they just want to come in and have a more relaxed time and they'll be like a kinky girlfriend. So, you know, they're kind of, they might have a bucket list of things they regret never having done when they were younger. And, you know, I've got a whole bunch of toys and equipment and, um, yay, come on, let's try this, let's do that. And they have a lovely time. They think it's great that I'm enjoying myself and I'm giving them permission to enjoy themselves and they're also feeling very seen and held and, you know, we have a lot of cuddles and stuff like that, so... I next asked Lorelai about the women-only sex parties that she organises and what that's like. Very, very hectic. (laughs) Um, It's a bit of a labour of love. I'm involved with a successful brand. Um, I get a little bit of, you know, money for each party party I organise. But it's, it doesn't cover it, you know, it's not for all of the time that I spend, I just do it because I love it. <laughs> and how many women are normally come to these parties? Around 70. Wow. Yeah. And do they last for a few hours? Or? Yeah, so the, we have two different types of party. Um, one, which is the, when we call it the signature party, it's a play party, so that'll be in a private residence. They pay for their entry, they get... Their refreshments provided all night, which includes champagne all night if they want it, or cocktails, water, whatever. 
Um, arrive at 9pm, we'll usually do a welcome speech at 10, we'll have uh, maybe a speaker, uh, we'll have a performance, then everyone will drift off, go and get some more drinks, then we'll do another performance around 11, you know, we'll get a burlesque performer in or someone that can come in and, and do something. And then everyone will just explore the venue and make new friends, sometimes we might play some games if we think there's any icebreakers needed but really isn't that goes on till 3 3 a.m and it's just six hours but but of women having sex if they want yeah okay but it's just it, it sounds do. like a yeah. very Is informal it... type of kind of relaxed environment yeah. for whatever they want to do yeah i mean we have a theme you know we make it quite glam we have we don't have a dress code as such but we'll have a theme it might be you know diamonds and pearls or something so you know they might wear a nice dress and then put on something to accessorize it that goes with the theme so it's very buzzy do you know what I mean you know you know we have music it's it's quite energetic um it's a members only club as well so it's it's exclusive yeah so they do a smaller version which is um drinks at uh as a, a bar over in the west end that we use and then we have an optional after party upgrade so we'll have a suite a private suite um, upstairs and then when it gets to 11 p.m anyone that wants to continue they know they might have met someone they might have been flirting i think oh actually i, I want to go i want to play with her so then they can go to the after party but equally it's nice if women want to see what the club is like uh, maybe meet some people but they're shy and they're not sure they want to go and play straight away they can just go for the drinks the last party i organized which was actually last weekend it's had the best feedback we've had so far and um seems like every person I spoke to personally there has emailed in to actually say how much fun they had you know I made a, a theme that was you know it's phoenix rising there was a lot of energy in it we, it was all red and flame um colored decorations everywhere our performer she was the phoenix as well you know she's got red hair she did aerial hoop we showed an amazing short film yeah, the whole thing was just, um, it was great. So I suppose in a way, like you say, I'm curating a particular type of energy. I don't know how I'd describe that. Mm. If I could bottle it, maybe I'd have some money. So I think part of me has always felt that it was my entitlement to be as sexual as I wanted to be, even when I was young. And I had a very Victorian upbringing. You know, you can't go out and see, well, you can't do this. Oh, well, you want to. You know, I feel this desire. That's mine. That's a natural part. Um, you know, it's the primal part of ourselves. It's that lust for life, you know. Um, to be sexual for me, I guess, means to be alive. And with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with Lorelai, you can reach her on Twitter at Divine Theoratrix. That's at D-I-V-I-N-E-T-H-E-R-A-T-R-I-X. And if you have any questions or comments uh, for me, you can um, email me on thisripefruit at gmail.com and you can follow this podcast at thisripefruit.com. Um, on Twitter and Instagram.